This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Numbers 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Today's program will be focused on Afghanistan and the consequences of what's been done and how it relates, yes, to what might happen to our own country. You know, I just have to take exception to some of my friends on TV and radio. I just do. We were not at war in Afghanistan for 20 years. We had troops in Afghanistan. Our combat forces were removed in 2014. We were in a backup role, for the most part, to the Afghan military. Intelligence, air power. And we trained as the Wall Street Journal pointed out, the Afghan military to basically fight as the American military does. A coordination of troops with air power, obviously no naval power necessary, and with intelligence. That's a relatively big country with all kinds of very difficult uh, 
mountainous areas and so forth. So intelligence is crucial. When you pull out the air support and you don't even tell the forces you're aligned with that you're doing that. When in the dark of night you remove your forces from the major air base there that was actually quite protected. And you pull out your intel officials, your intel people. And when Biden says the the Afghan army doesn't know how to fight, and General Keene says, well, they've lost between 50 and 70,000 of their own men. We're not getting all the truth here, ladies and gentlemen, including from libertarians and never-Trumpers, isolationists, and so forth. My goal isn't to relitigate this. My goal is just to be honest about this. This obviously is not a strong army. But when you pull air support, and you pull intel, and you pull our contractors, and much of it you do without coordinating with them or telling them anything, it certainly contributes to their collapse. We only had 2,500 troops there, most of whom were special forces and intel. And for the most part, they were able to keep it neutral. Neutral. Because of our air power. Taliban doesn't have an air force. Well, it might now, but it didn't. So the Afghan military, as it's been pointed out, lost its eyes, lost its, its air cover, And then lost its way. I think it's a mistake for some of our friends to keep pushing Lindsey Graham out there on uh, even on my favorite cable channel, Fox, with the various news programs. Lindsey Graham is all hawk all the time. Sometimes he's right, sometimes he's wrong. But he's not a good advocate, in my view, certainly in this case, for the sorts of things that need to be done. This isn't personal with me. I'm just making the point. But the idea that we shouldn't have troops in parts of the world, as some of the libertarians and isolations and others would argue, is nuts. Because what happens is our enemies build up their forces, take out our allies, and then ultimately take aim at us. And there's been a lot of men and women who've died in these, de- in these various parts of the world so we could protect ourselves. It's not go in and do something and get out because that's not the way our enemies view us. Our enemies would love us to leave South Korea and Japan and NATO, Germany in particular. They would be thrilled if we did that. Or we moved our special forces out of Africa, particularly North Africa. They would think that's fantastic. It would also be ultimately suicide. And it would ultimately cost us an enormous number of lives. We have troops and bases throughout the world for a purpose. And I really get tired of some people who claim to be with us and pro-American. Sounding like the hard left. No, I'm not a neocon, and I don't believe we should fight every war, and so forth and so on. But the language, the 
the bumper sticker talk. 20 years of war in Afghanistan is enough. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you a little secret. It's not over. In fact, it could get much, much uglier. Without our 2,500 troops and air power and intel in Afghanistan, it could get much, much uglier. And I mean for us in the United States. Now that debate aside, I just wanted you to know where I stand. That debate aside, I listened attentively to Joe Biden's speech that was obviously written for him. It was mostly about Joe Biden. It was mostly defensive. And it was outrageously political. Outrageously political. Plus he lied. Donald Trump said May 1st, and here I am, I'm elected, what could I do? First of all, knowing Donald Trump, Donald Trump would adjust to events on the ground. Moreover, Donald Trump's plan, has, as was told to me, was to secure the various province and province capitals, one after another, before full withdrawal. Does anybody think the scene you saw and still see at that Cabal airport would happen under Donald Trump? Anybody? I think they would have bombed the hell out of the Taliban by now. I think that's what they would have done on the way out. Diplomacy, oh please, please, don't harm us, please, please. Take out a few thousand of their men, who are, by the way, in the wide open now, all over that country. Oddly enough, ironically enough, would be easier to hammer them as the cockroaches come out from their caves and under their rocks. That would have at least settled things for a period of time. Defending America is not a matter of supporting war. It's a matter of defending America. If I were Taiwan right now, and Ukraine, and yes, even Israel... I'd be very careful about alliances with this administration. I'd be very, very careful about bending to the demands of this administration. This administration is not going to help support you. Taiwan is in grave, is a grave situation now. Ukraine is in a grave situation now. As is Israel, it has to now watch Hezbollah, Hamas, and of course Iran. And let's hope the weak government in Israel, which toppled Benjamin Netanyahu, is up for this, has the stomach for this, because it's going to need it. And what should our House of Representatives and Senate be doing right now? Eleven days on Hannity, Sean Fox, I said it was time to at least argue the Republicans in the House to start pushing for the impeachment 
of Joe Biden. And that was before the collapse of Afghanistan. This guy, Andy Biggs, comes out and calls for the impeachment of the Secretary of Department of Homeland Security. Okay, fine. Why won't they call for the impeachment of Biden? Biden has defied a Supreme Court ruling. Biden has opened the southern border to diseases and violent criminals and all the rest. He's destroying this country from within. I know he is, because I came under attack by some of the most radical kooks because of my Sunday show. We're going to have on this program people who can speak to these things militarily better than I. And that would include Tom Cotton at the bottom of the hour, retired Colonel Richard Kemp, who commanded the British forces in Afghanistan. He'll be here the second hour. And, of course, our friend Sean Parnell, who fought in Afghanistan, is running for the United States Senate in the Republican primary in Pennsylvania. All three of them are my friends. All three of them have seen a lot of combat. I've had family members who saw combat. That's for sure as hell. I have not. But I know what they'd be saying today. I know what they'd be saying today. All these generals who were involved in these decisions, starting with Milley, should go. They're not going to. They're not going to. We've had generals in our history, and then we've had this. It is amazing how we don't hear from General Mattis today. We don't hear from General Kelly today. You might remember in USA Today, Biden was endorsed by 500 retired top military and national security officials. That was September 24, 2020. Are they proud today? Where are they today? Are they going to sign a letter condemning Joe Biden and condemning Secretary of Defense Austin, who's been in the witness protection program? How about General Milley? Are they going to do that? 500 generals, admirals, former national security officials from both parties endorsed Joe Biden against Donald Trump. Let me be as clear as I know how. Joe Biden has just reversed 20 years of enormous progress in fighting the enemy. We have many enemies. We have communist China, who I believe has bought off the Biden family. We have Russia, despite the Russophile clowns in our own party, the Republican Party in this country. The Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran, where he already got them tens of billions of dollars. We are in much, much more serious and exposed situation militarily and in the form of terrorism, I believe, than we were 20 years ago. Because now the Taliban controls more of Afghanistan than it did on 9-11. And the communist Chinese are going to align with the Taliban. And Russia aligns with the communist Chinese. And they align with the Iranians. There is an axis of, of terrorism and militarism now. Since this man was elected president, that may have existed quietly or was sort of subterranean, but now it's out in the open. 
because this was an enormously provocative thing that Biden did. Because our enemies don't fear us now. They do not fear us. And that leads to big trouble. So for your isolationists and you neo-leftists and all the rest of you, this is a disaster. And you 500 generals, admirals, and former national security officials from both parties who endorsed Joe Biden, you can all go to hell. You're a disgrace, too. I'll be right back. Lovin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. The, uh, you listen to Biden's speech. He says that the core of his foreign policy is human rights. Well, what about the human beings in Afghanistan? I have to be honest with you folks, just person to person here. This has been turning my stomach for days. Hasn't it yours? Isn't this enormously upsetting, watching this? Watching the, the, the complete collapse of Afghanistan? And the slow collapse of the United States of America? This is, this is shocking. And tell me, who in the Democrat Party is criticizing Joe Biden tonight? Which elected official in the Senate or the House is criticizing Joe Biden tonight? Not one. Not a single one. This is going to spur terrorist movements and breathe life into other terrorist movements at a time when our southern border is wide open, when we are overwhelmed and our enemies know it. While Biden is importing people with viruses, criminal records, our our men and women are overwhelmed on the southern border, and they're not going to catch everybody. Didn't take many to do it. It's on 9-11. We've taken so many steps back, it's not funny. It's sickening. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. 
Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, the thunder on the right. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Senator Tom Cotton, I want to thank you for coming on the program. I know you're in great demand, and one of the reasons you're in great demand is because you're a man of the military. You actually won overseas. You've been concerned about this for some time. Um, and you're a very careful man in terms of uh, what kind of military actions you think we should take and so forth. But, you know, I, I guess I disagree with a lot of people because I didn't see why having 2,500 non-combat soldiers, federal contractors, intel, and a massive base so we could uh, keep an eye on things and also work with our friends and their military was such a bad thing. Where, where do you stand on this? And, and then I want to get into, obviously, this, uh, this disaster that's taken place here. Yeah, uh, Mark, thanks for having me on in this very sad day for America and for our power and prestige in the world. Um, I, I think the, the point you make, a lot of Americans are wondering right now. Uh, you heard a lot of criticism from the left and the right, frankly, about um, the duration of the Afghan war, and I understand why some Americans might grow weary of it. Um, but what we never heard from the Biden administration, uh, and certainly from Joe Biden when he announced this withdrawal in April, is how they would control the likely consequences of the withdrawal of that small force, one of which being uh, the exact kinds of, of chaos uh, that we see in Afghanistan now, our failure to get American citizens out of Afghanistan, to say nothing of Afghans who aided us. A second is how we can uh, possibly prevent the Taliban from turning uh, Afghanistan into a terrorist safe haven again. Uh, I've never heard a briefing on the Intelligence Committee or the Armed Services Committee from a Biden administration official about how they will conduct counterterrorism operations in Afghanistan without a presence there. Uh, and you heard Joe Biden today say that, don't worry, we have plans for, they called it, over-the-horizon counterterrorism strikes from hundreds and hundreds of miles away with no intelligence presence on the ground at all, which I suspect will be executed about as well as Joe Biden has in fact, uh, executed a fairly routine uh, non-combatant uh, evacuation operation in Afghanistan the last few days. Are you concerned we have a commander-in-chief, literally, who doesn't know what the hell he's doing? I, I, whether it's, whether it's his, his, his brain power or otherwise. I mean, that, I, I don't... How reckless and outrageous is this? Mark, I want to remind all of your listeners of something that Bob Gates, um, uh, a very accomplished public servant uh, at the CIA and at the Department of Defense, who serves as Secretary of Defense for both George Bush and Barack Obama, said about... Joe Biden 10 years ago, that Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every major foreign policy and national security issue of the last four day decades. Well, now you can add a fifth decade to it. But here's the difference, Mark. Back then, he was just a senator. He was just the vice president. He was never in charge. So there were not many consequences to his terrible judgment. Now he is in charge. And after 50 years of hot air and poor judgment, we see the consequences of that poor judgment coming home to roost. I think 
He is totally overmatched by events. He's been hiding out in Camp David for five days. The speech you saw today is a speech of a president who is dangerously detached from reality. And now he's retreated back to Camp David once again. I'm sitting here thinking, he talks about the last four presidents. I'm no Obama fan, of course, but I can speak to some of these presidents. We made tremendous headway in fighting these terrorists. In so many respects, he just handed it back to them. Now the Taliban control more of Afghanistan, that is, all of it, than they did before 9-11. Am I right? Yeah, Mark, I think that you make an important point. I've heard some people say, well, we're back to where we were before 9-11. Um, no, we are in a much worse position now than we were then. As you mentioned, uh, the Taliban never conquered the northern part of the country. That's where you had the so-called Northern Alliance, mm-hmm. the group of various tribal militias that our CIA paramilitaries and military special operations forces helped unite into a coherent fighting force after 9-11. They're the ones who primarily, with our assistance, toppled the Taliban in 2001. But now the Taliban controls all of Afghanistan. They also have the thousands and thousands of weapons and uh, ammunition and equipment that we left behind. And they have the prestige of having... Uh, the perception of having driven America out of Afghanistan. Um, So we are in a much worse position than we were uh, before the 9-11 attacks. And, you know, I love the way they point to Trump. I I was listening to General Keene, and among other things, uh, Trump apparently had, you know, it was supposed to be a pullout that had uh, red lines, red lines, red lines, and red But they have no idea what Donald Trump would have done up to this point. And so for him to keep pointing to Donald Trump is amazing to to me. For him to say he he was really stuck because of Donald Trump. Senator, does he ever seem stuck because of Donald Trump, whether it's sending billions of dollars to the Iranians through allies or anything else? Yeah. So if only Joe Biden had his hands tied by the Trump administration's policies um, and the course they had set, our border would still be closed, Mark. Uh, But Joe Biden conceives himself as tied to Donald Trump's policies. No other place in the world except for Afghanistan. And in fact, the president, the former president has said things would have been very different had he remained in office because he would have held the Taliban to their end of the deal. Obviously, the Taliban started violating uh, the agreement they had with President Trump last year. They continue to do so this year. Whether you supported that agreement, whether you didn't support that agreement under uh, President Trump, and for that matter, whether you agree or disagree with President Biden's decision to withdraw our troops, the execution of that decision has been catastrophically incompetent and impotent. If you're Taiwan right now, if you're Ukraine right now, if you're Israel right now, what are you thinking? You're not sleeping very well, I would suggest, Mark. Any partner around the world, which is, say, almost every partner who counts on American credibility, who counts on the credibility and the word and the judgment of the American president, right now is worried about whether or not this president will answer the bell when it's time to get in the ring. Um, And in particular, that first one you said, Mark, Taiwan. I mean, Taiwan's autonomy and the status quo between Taiwan and mainland China is almost entirely dependent on whether Xi Jinping thinks Donald Trump will come to Taiwan's defense if he goes for the jugular. You mean Biden? Uh, Biden, yeah. 
yes, whether Biden uh, will come to Taiwan's defense if Xi decides to go for the jugular in Taiwan. Something tells me that over the last 72 hours, Xi Jinping is grinning like the cat who ate the canary when he thinks about uh, Joe Biden's willingness to support Taiwan should the Chinese communists invade it. You know, I hear people say, why do we have troops overseas? And I'm thinking, well, we have them in South Korea. That war has been over a long time, more than half a century. We have them in uh, Europe, including Germany. That war has been over even a longer period of time. Um, China would love us to withdraw our troops from everywhere, wouldn't they, Senator? Yeah, China and Russia both would love us to have all of our troops out of the old world and back in the new world. There's a lot of different reasons. There's always different histories about how we ended up and where we ended up, whether it's Japan or South Korea or Germany or Italy or Kuwait or Qatar, Bahrain, whatever whatever you have, Mark. But the core reason why we have any troops forward deployed is that the central interest of America from the very beginning has always been to prevent an attack on our homeland the kind of attack that happened on 9-11, and it's happened very rarely throughout the rest of our history. Uh, one way to ensure that doesn't happen is to go on the offense forward deployed. So we're not on defense, on the last line of defense, which is our own homeland. And in particular, since World War II, we have decided as a nation that we will never allow a foreign power in the old world to combine its vast resources and territory and population and wealth and capabilities and marshal those against us in a way that could threaten our security here. Unfortunately, I think the Taliban is going to be able to do that once again in Afghanistan, the same way they were in the late 1990s and early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Now, um, in this withdrawal, we pulled our air support, we pulled our intelligence, we shut down our main base. We pulled out the contractors. And uh, General Keenan said, you know, when you do that, after you're teaching this army or have taught this army as weak as it is, uh, that you need the fusion of these various activities in order to fight. And then you pull all those out and you leave our main base without even telling them. He said that in significant part completely undermined them. Do you agree with that? Uh, Yes, I do, Mark. Um, I mean, the Afghan army is not the 101st Airborne, let's be clear, uh, but President Biden kneecapped them in every way. Um, They weren't even really all that reliant on American air power in recent years, Mark. They had their own air force that we had helped stand up, primarily helicopters for close air support. But we pulled out so many of the civilian contractors who just do the basic maintenance and logistics work uh, for them over the last few months that those helicopters couldn't fly anymore. And if you train an army to to be reliant on and to conduct operations in conjunction with close air support, and all of a sudden that air support is not available, guess what? They're not going to be nearly as well-trained and not going to operate as effectively as they could have. I mean, it'd be like taking American Marines or soldiers who have been trained for decades to rely on highly networked operations with support from artillery and air power and to say, okay, now you have no radios, you have no SATCOM, you have no artillery, you have no air support. We'd be better than the Afghan National Army, of course, but it, was, it is not the way they were trained to fight. I'm very concerned about a lot of this, Senator, because now we have communist China and fascistic Russia. Can't wait to work with the Taliban. The Taliban obviously is, is close with al-Qaeda and all these other uh, terrorist organizations. 
Iran, even though they hate that form of Islam, they are aligned with these various terrorist movements. We have the, the traditional enemy situation uh, aligned with the non-traditional enemy situation, more modern situation. So we have terrorists, and now a terrorist nation, in addition to Iran, Afghanistan. And, and, these, and, and China, which has obvious intentions of becoming a superpower, and Russia, which has obvious intentions of, uh, of expanding its, its power, to, they're, they're all working together, either directly or in a passive way. It, I mean, I, I've never seen anything like this. Have you? Um, uh, no, we are in a, a perilous moment, Mark, and you're correct to identify that you have both our traditional nation-state adversaries, like China, like Russia, now working in concert with um, enemies like the Taliban and associated terrorist groups in Iran. Um, now, Russia and China do have their own threat from Islamic right. radicals inside their countries or on their borders. But one simple way for them to deal with that threat is to make it clear what a punitive uh, retaliation they will launch if there are any attacks on their own soil. If, however, you want to attack the Americans, well, not only will we look the other way, we'll applaud you. In much the same way that all of these uh, cyber hacks and ransomware attacks come from Russian soil, yet they never seem to target Russian institutions. It's only American institutions. Um, I suspect you'll see the similar kind of tacit support for the Taliban, or explicit support for the Taliban, and, and tacit support for the terrorist groups that operate under the Taliban's umbrella in Afghanistan from China and from Russia. Before we leave, Senator, I know you're going to say, well, this is kind of old hat. Remind people of your service background, would you? Sure, Mark. I was uh, in my last year of law school uh, when the 9-11 attacks were launched, and you know that made me want to serve. I finished up school and paid off my loans, but I, uh, I enlisted a couple years after I graduated law school and served five years, uh, long stint at Fort Benning, Fort, Fort Beginning for Boys, as they used to call it. And then I was in Iraq with the 101st Airborne. Uh, I was in up, up in northeast Afghanistan uh, in 2008 and 2009 uh, with a reconstruction team. And between those tours, I served at Arlington National Cemetery. You wrote a beautiful book about that. Um, you're going to lose some of your friends, maybe, that you've met in Afghanistan, do you think? I, I'm afraid that many of them uh, in my old area of operations are probably already lost um, if they have not um, in recent months been able to uh, get out of the country, maybe into Pakistan or elsewhere. Uh, and I'm fearful for uh, so many Afghans who supported us over the last 20 years. But I also want to stress, Mark, that we have hundreds, if not thousands, of Americans, American citizens with American passports uh, behind enemy lines. Uh, mm -hmm. My office has been running a hotline for the last 24-plus uh, hours, um, and we've heard directly from so many Americans uh, who cannot contact the embassy, who have no guidance beyond shelter in place and wait to hear from us. Uh, that's the kind of incompetence uh, that we've seen from the Biden administration in executing uh, what should be a fairly straightforward non-combatant evacuation operation. Well, we're going to have to go, but, you know, for Biden to be silent for six days, give this really self-serving speech, and then go back to Camp David for the Secretary of Defense to be hiding out right now. I just think that this is all so damn appalling. It's really, it's really, it's humiliating and it's enormously dangerous. Senator, I want to thank you for your leadership. Please keep it up, sir. Thank you very much, Mark. It's good to be on with you. All right. Take care of yourself. We'll be right back.
The idea that Donald Trump would have done it exactly the way Joe Biden did and Donald Trump boxed in Joe Biden. Joe Biden is a coward. How many times do I have to say this? He's a very stupid man. Eleven days ago, I called for his impeachment on Hannity. We have almost no Republican House members supporting it. What is it going to take? The southern border is wide open and all that involves... Law enforcement's been undermined. The murder rate in this country is through the roof. He's weakened our military. The economy is on a slide as he draws trillions of dollars out of the private sector and private property rights into big government, into Bernie Sanders' world. Inflation is through the roof. Our finances are, are a disaster. He defies a Supreme Court decision. What's it going to take? Well, a letter to the president of Ukraine, maybe? Maybe that'll do it, right, Rich? Maybe that'll be the, uh, the straw that breaks the camel's back. What do you think, folks? And I'm calling on leading Democrats. Come on out. Tell us you support the Biden policy. The great internationalist, Joe Biden, the great internationalist, throws one ally after another under the bus. What a great internationalist and globalist this guy is. America's back, he says. Frightening. My advice to Israel, Taiwan, and Ukraine, do not do anything this president asks you to do, or you will pay a price for it. Period. Is there anything in America or outside America that is going our way since the Biden presidency? Anything. Nothing. He has embraced this radical American Marxist agenda He's imposing it on us by hook or by crook. And I want to remind you of something. It was Obama-Biden under whom ISIS formed their caliphate and all the horrors related to that. They did it. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 877-381-3811. Just a couple minutes, I wanted to mention that I was at the Reagan Library Saturday with fantastic patriots, just like you folks out there, many of you listening. It was absolutely sold out. Uh, I was told it was the biggest crowd they've ever had. Um, either way, it was a fantastic group of patriots. It was very, very inspiring. And um, I want to thank everybody who did turn out. Uh, under, you know, difficult circumstances. It's California, it's mostly a federal facility, so you have to wear masks and all the rest. But 
Notice we did not have a COVID-19 spreader event, Mr. Producer. We didn't. I mean, I'm not Obama, and uh, this isn't Martha's Vineyard. We were at the Reagan Library, and I want to thank, in particular, John Highbush. Uh, I understand that this will be his last year there. That's a great loss for the Reagan Library. He has built that into a fantastic uh, institution with fantastic programs and uh, the best of the presidential libraries. And he is a, a wonderful human being. He suffered uh, cancer. He's fought cancer treatments for many, many years with esophageal cancer. He didn't smoke. And uh, he's just a sweetheart of a human being. And, uh, and his fantastic staff there, uh, Melissa, Joanne, so many others, Autumn. But uh, it's, it's just very, very sad that he won't be there. And I got to meet uh, former Governor uh, Pete Wilson and his uh, wonderful wife, Gail, former congressman from the area, and his wonderful wife, and so forth. And, uh, and, and, and hundreds and hundreds of people. I believe there were about 1,500 people there. So again, I want to thank you all. And what you see in this book, American Marxism, is playing out all over this country. It's playing out all over this country. And the impact on domestic policy, the impact on foreign policy is just horrendous. That's why you need to raise, and many of you are doing your damnedest, and many of you have succeeded, some have tried, patriots. Patriots. I saw the census numbers came out last week, and, and the headlines were basically that in 10 years' time, the population went from 64%, what do they say, non, what do they say, non-white, Hispanic, I forget, white is what they're trying to say, to, uh, to about 58%, slightly under 58% white, and this is being celebrated. Why is race, one way or another, being celebrated? What you're seeing here, like it or not, up or down, is the effect of particularly recent times, decades of immigration and birth rates. And so when you have a society that is fairly young and you have a lot of new immigrants coming into the country, and that is by policy of both Republican and Democrat administrations, and you don't assimilate people into our culture, and you don't promote patriotism and the founding and so forth. You have a society that's dying. You have a society that's dying. And they said, now there's 400 plus counties that are majority minority. I said, why do they keep celebrating this? Because they obviously believe minorities are going to vote Democrat. And that seems to be the way it is. And if minorities are going to vote Republican, they would oppose this. And we know that. I've said that for years. But look at Cuba. That's a perfect example. So it's not just minorities that are coming into the country in droves, illegally and legally. It's minorities who tend to vote, at least relatively historically, Democrat. But we have even a bigger problem than that in terms of an immediate issue, and that is a wide open border. By the end of the year, two point some odd million people will come in this country illegally. 
with the virus, without the virus, gang members, non-gang members, just a whole array of people from all over the world. Do you think the terrorists are going to say, well, we're not coming into the United States illegally. Why would we do that? This man is the one-man pandemic I said he was. He is the man I said that our enemies want to win the presidency. I would ask people who voted against Trump and for Biden, uh, does those tweets still bother you? Do those tweets still bother you? Do you realize how ridiculous you were? How you fell for what the media and the Democrat Party were doing? Do you still think the constitutional challenges in Pennsylvania by the party that despises our Constitution and our way of life, that would be the Democrat Party if there's any confusion. We're a bad idea that should never be discussed because various corporations say we shouldn't discuss it. Various boards of directors say we shouldn't discuss it. Various media outlets say we shouldn't discuss it. Seriously? I'm not even talking about machines and ballots. I'm talking about the Constitution. And if you want to see a real insurrection, you're watching one in Afghanistan. And if you want to see a real insurrection, you're watching one now in the United States of America. It's unarmed. It's not a military insurrection. But every aspect of this society and culture are under attack. And I want to reiterate what I said in the first hour. Can you name one Democrat in the House of Representatives or one Democrat in the United States Senate condemning what Joe Biden has done? I've heard none. None. So I would say to minorities out there, people of color, particularly people who are Muslim, what do you think about that? What do you think about that? What do you think about major American corporations that have aligned themselves with the Democrat Party and Joe Biden doing business with communist China, even though communist China is wiping out Muslims? The Uyghurs. What do you think about that? Isn't it funny how the organization CARE says nothing about what's going on? Nothing. What do you think about that? It's unbelievable. By the way, another side issue. So we flew from uh, Dulles Airport to LAX and back. Um, You know, I love California. It's so beautiful. The weather's so great. It's just nuts. You know, the people are nuts. Obviously not the Republicans and the conservatives, but so many of the people. And I had people, Mexican-Americans, coming up to me at the Reagan Library and say, you know, we're not all illegal. I said, that's for sure. Many of you are great patriots. But, of course, that's not my point. Richard Kemp is going to be my guest in about seven or eight minutes. Do you know who Richard Kemp is? Richard Kemp has spent most of his life fighting terrorism and insurgency. He commanded British troops on the front line of some of the world's toughest hotspots, including Afghanistan, Iraq, the Balkans, and Northern Ireland. Colonel Kemp, retired, was sent to Kabul in 2003 to take command of British forces in Afghanistan. And he realized... There was an increasing terrorist threat, but no resources or plans to place 
in place to deal with it. So he immediately put together an unconventional force of British troops and U.S. Marines. They begged, barred, and stole equipment to gain intel and launch covert surveillance. And writing about Kemp, the Canadian general commanding international forces at the time said, his efforts led directly to the most successful offensive counter-terrorist operations in Kabul, with several key terrorist leaders now under arrest, significantly setting back the enemy campaign. And along the way, Kemp helped to disarm local warlords, train the fledgling Afghan army and police, and even played a part in preventing a coup d'etat against then-President Hamid Karzai. And most of the last five years, Colonel Kemp, he, went to, he spent time in Downing Street as head of the International Terrorism Team at the Joint Intelligence Committee, where he was responsible for producing assessments on the growing global terrorist problem for the Prime Minister and his cabinet. In 2005, at the request of the U.S. Ambassador to Iraq, spent three months on special intel assignment in Baghdad, Fallujah, and Mosul. This is a man's man, and he's also brilliant, and he's also my friend. And he will be on the program in just a few minutes. He's very much worth listening to. I'll be right back. Colonel Richard Kemp, all the way from Great Britain. How are you, sir? Very well, sir, and it's a pleasure to join you tonight. Thank you. You were, uh, among many things, commander of British forces in Afghanistan for a period of time, so I wanted your take on this. I mean, in the United States, this is widely viewed as a complete, unmitigated disaster. How do you see this? I see it in exactly those terms, and I think most people in England, certainly most people who served in Afghanistan, see it in exactly that light. It's a complete disgrace. It didn't need to happen like this, despite some people claiming it did. The decision was taken solely by President Biden, despite the fact that he's claimed and, and attempts to blame President Trump and pretty much anyone else he can think of for what happened. It's his responsibility. This would not have happened without his decision. It's hard to sleep at night knowing this is going on. I mean, I wasn't there. I didn't fight. And I think about the people who are going to be absolutely brutalized and killed and our allies who fought there, the the Afghans. And how does this, I mean, as a human being, what do do you think? Well, I I know a lot of people in Afghanistan. I'm still in touch with some of them. Um, And uh, I, I feel desperately sorry for the fate there. Uh, facing at the moment. They were pretty much everybody in Kabul that I met when I was out there in 2003, shortly after the uh, we first went in a couple of years earlier. And they were so optimistic, they were so happy about us being there. They still were stinging from the Taliban regime that they'd been living under for years before that. They were looking forward to more freedom, to equal rights for every citizen, including women who had virtually no rights before. They, they were looking forward to be able to walk the streets without being checked by religious police and, and dragged in, beaten sometimes, amputations of feet and hands for relatively minor transgressions. They were, they were pleased to be free of that, and they, they had the promise from the United States, from the UK, that their lives would be different, and they were. They were changed, they were improved, significantly improved in Afghanistan, particularly in the cities. Uh, over the last two decades, and now all of it is thrown away. They're now facing, you know, the w- most 
difficult, dangerous situation you could imagine. It's it's probably about the same as if you were being told you're now living in under the control of the Islamic State of ISIS. And that said, uh, Colonel Kemp, uh, General Jack Keane here, retired four-star general, he said, look, the Afghan fighters did fight. They took significant casualties. But we trained that army, not the best army, clearly. He said, we trained that army to fight like we fight, with air cover, with intelligence information. So when we pulled the air cover, we pulled the intel. We closed down the biggest base in the middle of the night without letting them know. He said pretty much that, that, began, that started the beginning of the end there, and it moved very quickly. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree. And, and although President Biden, I saw a tweet from President Biden this evening saying that we can't expect Americans to fight and die in a war that Afghans aren't prepared to fight and die in, which I thought was deeply insulting when you consider that uh, 50,000 Afghan soldiers have died in the last seven years fighting the Taliban. 50,000. Um, an extraordinary number, and they've, they've, thousands have died just in the last few months. Um, and it, it's, it's partly because, as General Keane mentioned, it's partly because of the, the way they were trained to fight and the resources they were trained to fight with and then them being denied. But it's also, I think, the collapse of the Afghan National Security Forces. There are, there are a number of reasons for it, but one of the major ones, probably the major one, was the announcement and then the execution of the withdrawal of uh, Western forces, particularly U.S. forces, um, and that was, you know, that was they, they were their backstop. They they couldn't really fight effectively uh, without U.S. forces being behind them some somewhere somehow. They knew they could rely on U.S. and British forces and other NATO forces when the chips were down, when the fighting became hard. So you know, it, it's it's their, their morale effectively collapsed when they realised that this is this is all gone and they were on their own and not really able to stand on their own feet. And in war, I think you know, I hate to quote Napoleon, but Napoleon said, in, "In war, the moral is to the physical as three is to one." So, in other words, morale is three times important than all other factors. Um, and that you know that's borne out. It's why the whole thing collapsed so quickly. Um, and and you know that they 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 lacked the support of the government in Kabul. The government in Kabul was corrupt and incompetent. Often didn't pay them. Often they were running short of ammunition all of the time. They had very little to fight with. And so it's hardly surprising. And some very brave men among them. Um, and, you know, and, and obviously there are some who, who weren't, weren't up for the fight and who went over to the other side. But uh, you know, I, think, I think for President Trump in his tweet, uh, Biden, I beg your pardon, in his tweets and in his speech tonight, to, to basically to abuse them in the way he did in the condi- in the circumstances they are now facing, I think was absolutely heartless and a disgrace. You know, we have twenty eight thousand troops in South Korea. I don't know how many troops we have in NATO. We, the United States, we have troops all over the world. The world would look a lot differently if we didn't have troops in South Korea and NATO and so forth, wouldn't it, Colonel? Yeah, it would look, certainly look different, and the world the world actually does look different now mm-hmm. with what's happened in Afghanistan. It, you know, the U.S. prestige, and, and with U.S. prestige, the whole prestige of NATO, including Britain, has effectively fallen apart now in the eyes of so many people around the world. And our allies and people who were expecting, who, who are looking to us for support, will will realize now that we, you know, we, we under this president, under this government, are... Um, 
you know, fair weather friends that we can't be relied on when the chips are down. And if you take a country like Israel, for example, you know, only a few years ago under the under Kerry when he was Secretary of State, a proposal was made that the West Bank would would be uh, would be protected and guarded and secured by U.S. Army uh, instead of the Israeli Army. Um, and the Israeli the Israelis, of course, rejected that, saying we are we're not relying on anyone else. We're fighting on our own for our for for our country. And you know that that judgment has been reinforced, I think, by the behaviour of of our or, you know both of our countries um, in the last few days. Now, Colonel Kemp, am I going to be able to keep you after the bottom of the hour because I want to continue uh, this discussion about the impact on the rest of the world now? By all means. And I would also say this, if you're Taiwan, where we don't have a complete military pact, we have something that's called flexibility. You have to be very nervous right now. And if you're Ukraine, given Putin's constant uh, obsession with Ukraine, you have to be very nervous right now. And all throughout, all throughout Europe and all throughout Asia, I think you have to worry a lot. I want to I revisit, circle back with you the, the international impact that this is going to have. With Colonel Richard Kemp, retired, who commanded British forces for a good period of time in Afghanistan. We'll be right back. He's driving the media mad. Mark Levin, call in with your outrage. 877-381-3811. We're talking to Colonel Richard Kemp, who uh, was commander of British forces in Afghanistan for a bit of time, really a very tough time, starting in 2003. Uh, Colonel Kemp, I want to ask you about the impact on the world uh, from this disaster. It's it's unfolding at a record speed and... Uh, Completely avoidable, in my view. What what is the impact? China, Russia, the rest of the world. Well, in the region, um, China, Russia, uh, Iran, and Pakistan, all of whom have been supporting and arming the Taliban for years, particularly Pakistan. Pakistan, most no- notably, but also significantly, Iran and China and Russia. Um, they're circling the corpse of Afghanistan now, and they they will be cashing in the investment they've made in, in uh, the Taliban to, to essentially to rape the country of resources, particularly by China, and also to, um, to leverage their influence they've got there against the West. Of course, they can use their influence with the Taliban against, uh, particularly against America. Um, and, and I think in, in more, even more concerning than that, there is a big risk that uh, instability caused by Taliban rule in Afghanistan will spread to Pakistan. Pakistan already has a major insurgency problem. It has its own version of the Taliban there as well as, as, well as other jihadists. And, um, and they will, you know, there's the, 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 the a possibility that it will lead to greater instability in Pakistan. And of course, let's not forget that Pakistan is a nuclear-armed country. That threat has increased as a result of the decision to withdraw from Afghanistan. In addition, jihadists will pour into Afghanistan from around the world in their thousands, as they did before 9-11. And there they will meet, they will train, they will plan, they'll prepare, and they'll be sent out to carry out terrorist attacks 
against the West, against our countries. Jihadists all around the world, in the US, in the UK, and other countries everywhere, will be inspired by this. They're, they're all celebrating what's happened. They'll be inspired by the Taliban victory. They will be able to recruit more people to their cause now, um, and they will be re-energized to carry out attacks. So I think the reality is that as a result of this uh, withdrawal by NATO, by the US, the UK, um, we will see a significantly increased threat from international terrorism around the globe. It's exactly what al-Qaeda wanted in when they uh, drove the airplanes into the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, on uh, 9-11. They, they then wanted to lure the American forces into Afghanistan, where they expected to defeat them and humiliate them around the world. And actually, they've achieved that now. They haven't militarily defeated America, but they have. They, they, you know, they, it's taken 20 years, but they've achieved what they want in terms of promoting global jihad, uh, encouraging and inspiring global jihad, and humiliating the United States of America. So, you know, on the almost the 20th anniversary of 9/11, um, President Biden has given uh, Al Qaeda really what they wanted in the first place. By the way, I see uh, Hamas has congratulated the Taliban, just so people understand that uh, this administration is also playing footsie with Palestinian terrorists in the Middle East. Um, no, no, Colonel Kemp, here's the thing also. I was dis- discussing this with Senator Tom Cotton. You have sort of the, the old state enemy sort of situation with, with communist China and fascistic Russia and so forth. And then you have them joining forces in, a, in, in really an open way with these terrorist regimes and terrorist organizations now. So I would argue that we have a more powerful collection of enemies than we did before 9-11. Does that make sense? It does. And, and not only that, but they've been, they've been emboldened now by what they've seen. They... they they're united in, in, you know, they are united against us. They, um, they want to undermine and eventually to uh, overwhelm us. Um, not, not necessarily in military terms, but in terms of trade, social life, economy, um, so many other areas. They want to dominate the world, particularly China. And, and this is, again, this has empowered them. Um, you know, we, we, we should be acting to uh, to, to uh, essentially to deter them from deter them from aggressive action against us, aggressive in the wider sense. But this we haven't. We've we've done the opposite of deterring them. We've uh, we strengthened them. And as we were speaking about earlier on, those people who wanted to protect or to maybe to entice from the authoritarian sphere, from the sphere of China, Russia, etc., we wanted to entice into the Western sphere. Will, will not do that now. They will. They will question why they should. They will seriously doubt the reliability of the West, and they will believe that China and Russia are far more reliable allies than we are. And and that it's essentially it's the opposite effect to the effect that President Biden uh, President Biden claimed when he uh, said he was pulling troops out of Afghanistan in order to focus on Russia and China. Let me ask you about this. Uh... You're a man who's actually been to war, been to several wars, have commanded forces. I keep hearing that this is a 20-year war. Now, 
In the last 18 months, at least, there weren't, there wasn't a single American casualty. We had 2,500 uh, individuals on the ground. We had our air power. We had federal contractors and CIA and so forth, as is now obvious. I mean, there's a difference between a, a hot war and a situation in which you've basically stalemated the enemy. Is there not, or am I wrong about that? No, you're absolutely right about that. And we've got, you know, or you have got American. I've, I've worked with the Americans so much, the yeah. American Army so much, that I, We'd love to I have think it. of myself almost yes. as an American. But, but you have got um, forces still deployed in South Korea. Right. The war there ended in the 1950s. It became a frozen conflict. Um, there hasn't been any fighting involving the Americans there for a long time, but they're still there, and no one is saying they need to pull out now. No one really, I don't, as far as I can understand, there was no really strong pressure in the U.S. or in the U.K. to pull out from Afghanistan, particularly as casualties weren't being sustained, and particularly as it was such a small military footprint there. It was all about, I mean, I think the whole rationale behind it was all about the midterm elections, hoping that there would be some electoral advantage in pulling out. It wasn't for any strategic reason. It wasn't for for, for any military reason. It was, I think, a completely misguided decision. I seem to think if we would say today, we'll put 2,500 non-combatant troops on the ground, and NATO will contribute six or 7,000 non-combatant troops on the ground, and we'll be able to keep this enemy at bay, I think people would say, you must be smoking something. That could never happen. But it did happen, didn't it, Colonel? Yeah, it's, it's been good value for money. We... We have had a few troops, and over the years, obviously, many more troops, but nevertheless, relatively small number of troops in recent years deployed in Afghanistan. And those troops, with, with significant effort by the Afghan forces, you know, 350,000 Afghan forces approximately, um, with, with you know, and significant sacrifice by those forces, they may not be as good as our forces are, but they've certainly fought quite hard in some of these situations. Um, and with that, we've been able to hold back the threat. We've been able to effectively apply forward defense of the U.S., the U.K., and other countries with a relatively light footprint. Uh, and as you say, most people who you told that to would find it hard to believe, but it happened. And, and, and the consequences of not having that relatively light footstep footprint there have uh, are now becoming only too obvious yeah i just want to make sure this narrative that's being pushed on media including by people who say you know i wanted us to get out of there but we got out of the wrong way i, I have a little bit of a different take which is absolutely we got out of there the wrong way i don't think it takes einstein to figure that out uh, or that joe biden is a complete disaster in so many respects but clearly here but that we, we, we had very little military exposure, we and NATO, for that matter, and what we were able to do. And so that, that, is, that is something that I don't believe gets, gets a whole lot of attention. And now we have complete exposure. Now we have no idea what's going to go on in that country unless we get satellite intel or something like that. Our major base is gone. Uh, we don't have a lot of intel surrounding from different countries there. And uh, in our country, we have a wide-open border, which is a complete disaster under these circumstances. And, uh, you know, people like you and Tom Cotton and others are saying, I, I'm very, very concerned about the safety of America, and, and I'm sure Britain and these other countries in Europe, too, as a result of this. I agree. And I, I, would, I would say we could have easily kept 
the number of forces, and I would have argued for, for increasing the forces, not, not pulling them out altogether. Not necessarily increasing them dramatically, but increasing them to a certain extent. Uh, and we could, I think, have remained there indefinitely on that basis, uh, if, the, if it had been necessary to do so. And I think if it had been necessary to do so, we should have done that. But now we've exposed all of our countries to a danger that we went there in the first place to prevent. Um, so, yeah, the, there, is, there is absolutely no, I can think of no logic, whatever, behind what, uh, what the president did in this case. And I think, you know, the, the, one of the reasons why, the Talib, why al-Qaeda was severely written down by mainly by or largely by uh, drone strikes in Pakistan. The main reason that was able to happen was because of our presence in Afghanistan. As you, as you alluded to, without a significant military presence there or some military presence there, um, you, you know, the CIA can't really sustain themselves. The CIA certainly won't be able to sustain themselves in any meaningful way now in, in uh, Afghanistan. Without that footprint, gaining intelligence not just on Afghanistan but also on Pakistan, which, which presents, I think, in you know, in the wider sense, presents uh, almost as big a threat as uh, as Afghanistan used to. Probably less now. Now the situation changed. So yeah, this 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 is a small number of troops was achieving a huge amount, and and that's actually just been thrown away. Take saying 70 years is long enough in South Korea, or 75, or whatever number of years is long enough in NATO. You know, the enemy doesn't do things this way. They don't look at the counter and say, you know, 70 years is long enough, let's give up, let's move on. Do they, Colonel? They, they, they work by their own clock and calendar. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we can't, you know, we, we can't uh, control the enemy's decisions and the, the enemy's actions without being in a position to do so. People are asking today well what can we do how can we influence what's going on in afghanistan today where you know where there are vast numbers of people displaced there are people you know there'll be a huge amount of suffering in afghanistan there'll be a huge number of refugees who will be leaving afghanistan to uh, to go to pakistan some will go through iran to turkey and on into europe in vast numbers afghanistan afghans are already the second largest refugee population in the world that's about to explode uh, the taliban uh, the al-qaeda and the islamic state have significant presence in afghanistan none of which we can do anything about whatsoever uh, now we've pulled out colonel uh, kemp i want to thank you for your past service to the world really in afghanistan and uh, in support of our country as well and i want to wish you all the best my friend thank you thank you very much it's been a real pleasure mark and thanks for having me on and god bless you there's a real hero right there. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, it's an amazing thing. These books against Trump, trashing Trump, 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 they never stop. There's another one coming out, actually, on my birthday, September 21, by Bob Woodson and Robert Costa. And Bob Woodson and Rosa, it's called Peril. On September 20, another Trump-hating, well, this is like the fifth one in six or eight weeks. Stop it, Marty. Marty wants my attention here. Come over here, sweetie. 
Folks, we got a real-world situation here. We have a situation in our own country. We have a situation going on, obviously, in Afghanistan and the rest of the world. I think uh, this ideology of American Marxism has made us enormously uh, exposed uh, while it's weakening our institutions here at home, whether it's the police and the military, whether it's our border. Look how exposed we are now. The cops have been undermined, the military's undermined, the border's wide open with the border patrol and ICE undermined. We're spending ourselves into bankruptcy. Our enemies, foreign and domestic, are poised. You see it. Amazingly, some of our fellow citizens don't see it. Who are these people and what are we going to do about it? That's the whole point of American Marxism. I want to strongly encourage you now, if ever, now, to acquire a copy and either keep it for yourself, give it to a neighbor, give it to a family member. We got to get this message out. We have to get this message out. We have to pass it among our friends and family. You can bark. Come on over here. Say hi to everybody. Come here. Come here. He's coming. Say hi to everybody. We can use a little laugh. Come here, Marty. Come here. He's repeating what I'm saying in dog talk. Basically, that's how I see it. So I want to encourage you folks, seriously, let's jump in. Enough of these anti-Trump books. Enough of this, of this movement that's dragging this country down from within and building up our enemies from without. That's enough. We'll be back. We're not done. Later in our next hour, Sean Parnell, retired Army captain, saw combat, obviously, in Afghanistan. And I hope you'll stick with us. We'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number is 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. A friend of mine writes, my friend Spiridon, I was re-listening to Reagan's Time for Choosing speech, which is what I do when I'm feeling down. And there's a part where he qu- quotes Khrushchev. And Khrushchev says, when the ultimate When the ultimatum to surrender comes, America will have been so weakened spiritually, morally, and economically that our surrender will be voluntary. That their surrender will be voluntary. And he adds, you just wrote a book about this pervasive anti-American woke movement that is in full control of the Democrats and academia and the press and even the senior levels of the military. So we're not only in retreat, but we're willingly pretending that the enemy isn't a problem. We're willingly pretending that the enemy isn't a problem. He's a good man, Spiridon. And you are good people in the audience. And I met so many of you at the Reagan Library, I'm telling you. There are tens of millions of us. They can keep pushing out the anti-Trump books. 
They can keep lying to us about things like Afghanistan and the border and all the rest. But we have to stay focused. We have to save our country. And when we save our country, we will save civilization. I'm convinced of it. And so it's just a matter of time before American Marxism tumbles from the top down as they all do. And Bob Woodward's book on September 21 is picked up by every left-wing kook in America. But let that time be put off. You have children who are going into college, or going to some university, or going into high school. We need you to help save the country. It's our obligation, folks. You see what's happening in Afghanistan? When Reagan said freedom's about one generation away. One generation away from losing it. He was right. Now let's just make sure it's not lost during our generation. And we have an obligation to step up. You'll hear the isolationists, the neo-Marxists and the others, they see no use for the United States military as they see no use for police officers. But I would say this to you. If we're not willing to engage the enemy here at home, then we're done. Now, I should point out, we're going to get to more of the news in a moment, that on my Sunday show, I said, among many other things, that we have less freedom today than we did prior to the Revolutionary War. So some very perverse, low-IQ clowns get on the Internet. Bryn Tannehill, Tom Nichols, who's an author, um, somebody named John Amato, who created something called Crooks and Liar, of which he would know, because he may well be one, but I don't know. Yahoo News put stuff out. This Mark Levin, this is the most preposterous thing that's ever been said on Fox. What about the indigenous peoples? What about slavery and so forth? Now, ladies and gentlemen, obviously that's not what I'm talking about, slavery and indigenous peoples. I'm talking about the, the aggregate of the civil society. I'm talking about what went on at Independence Hall. I'm talking about what went on the second time at Independence Hall. The first, the Declaration, the second, the Constitution. But I would ask these low IQ numbskulls, who obviously embrace this American Marxist movement, who think Joe Biden is swell, who hate Donald Trump and all the rest of them, are you so blinded by your stupidity and your obsessions that you don't see tyranny when it's staring you in the face. I even point out in my book, American Marxism, when several dozen typically leftist authors and artists and playwrights wrote a letter about wokeism and the cancel culture, even they saw it. But Tom Nichols, Bryn Tannenbull, or Bill, I don't like, and, uh, John Amato, he's the founder of Crooks and Liars, because he's a schmuck, and uh, Bevan Hurley, 
They don't see it. They don't see it. And they never will. And they never will. Because they're ideological buffoons. This book's not written for them. It's written for you. And the people who want to retain, or I should say, expand liberty in this country. Montage, Joe Biden, July 8, 2021, at a press conference. Cut one, go. Is a Taliban takeover of Afghanistan now inevitable? No, it is not. Because you have the Afghan troops have 300,000 well-equipped, as well-equipped as any army in the world, and an air force, against something like 75,000 Taliban. It is not inevitable. Mr. President, thank you very much. Your own intelligence community has assessed that the Afghan government will likely collapse. That is not true. Is it, can you please clarify what they have told you about whether that will happen or not? That is not true. They did not, they didn't, did not reach that conclusion. What is the level of confidence that they have that it will not collapse? The Afghan government and leadership has to come together. They clearly have the capacity to sustain the government in place. And do you see any parallels between this withdrawal and what happened in Vietnam with some people feeling... None whatsoever. Zero. What you had is you had entire brigades breaking through the gates of our embassy. Six, if I'm not mistaken. The Taliban is not the, South, the North Vietnamese army. They're not, they're not remotely comparable in terms of capability. There's going to be no circumstance where you see people being lifted off the roof of an embassy in the, of the United States from Afghanistan. It is not at all comparable. So the question now is, where do they go from here? That, the jury is still out. But the likelihood there's going to be the Taliban overrunning everything and owning the whole country is highly unlikely. There you go. The man who's destroying our economy, destroying our constitution, destroying our sovereignty, destroying our health care system and our financial system. I certainly hope some of you who voted for him have awakened to what he is. He is the greatest disastrous president in my entire lifetime. That includes Obama. He is the greatest disaster. The Democrat Party is the greatest disaster it's been since it supported segregation and before that, slavery. It is destroying this country. It is dividing the American people. It's weakening us from within. It's exactly what our enemies want. And they're getting what they want. You don't think great societies can't crumble? Well, read about Athens. Read about Rome. Read about them. It's absolutely shocking. When we come back, we'll have Sean Parnell. And you know Sean, he's a great guy. He ran for the House and he won, but they stole it from him. He's a retired Army captain. Saw combat in Afghanistan. Background very, very well known. I want to... I want to inquire of him, and, and after we talk to uh, Sean, I want you to remind you what Kamala Harris said on CNN in April. Notice she is in the same witness protection program as the Secretary of Defense, both of whom were in a witness protection program with Biden until they woke him up, 
gave him a speech to read, and sent him back to Camp David. Guy's in Camp David again. While people are being raped, pulled out of their homes, and executed, who are so frightened, they're hanging on the airplanes and dying, falling off of airplanes. I mean, think about this. I'll be right back. Sean Parnell is a retired Army infantry captain and fought in Afghanistan. Sean, how are you, my friend? Hey, Mark, thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Uh, I'd be doing a lot better if Joe Biden didn't completely botch 20 years in Afghanistan. (laughs) One of the things, Sean, that's bothering me is I see the effort to exploit this by various political factions, including the isolationists, the neo-Marxists. We should never have been there and some... Obviously, we weren't seeking a war in Afghanistan, and and I would argue, you know, I had uh, retired Colonel Richard Kemp, you probably know who he was, commander of British forces in Afghanistan for a while, I had Tom Cotton on, and I wanted you on too for your perspective. I mean, at the end here, we actually had 2,500 non-combat troops, CIA intel, uh, and air power, and both of those men said to me, the Afghanis actually did fight. They lost 50,000 men, but when you pull their air power, you pull their intel, you pull the uh, federal contractors, and you do it all in a period of a few months, then you leave our major base, and you don't even let them know you're doing it in the middle of the night. That is a problem for them. What do you say about that? that that's exactly right. I mean, Mark, there were so many unbelievably grave strategic blunders that will likely be studied at military academies for the next 50 years about how not to conduct an exfil. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Afghan National Army was structured very similar to ours in that ground power is augmented with air power. But when Joe Biden pulled out their contractors that serviced their aircraft, he effectively decimated their air force. And so early on in this Taliban offensive, the Afghan National Army were actually fighting back. But when they saw that they had no air support and likely no American support, they, I think they threw, they just threw their hands up and said it's not worth it. The, the next question I have, and I really would like to know who's responsible for this for this decision, and I think it's President Biden, is who made the decision to abandon Bagram Air Base before all of our American citizens and allies could be evacuated out of the country? It's shocking. It's one of the greatest. It's one of the greatest strategic blunders in in, in America in the last century. Mark, there are only a few airstrips in Afghanistan where you can actually land a plane. The Taliban control Kandahar. The Taliban uh, control Bagram now. And Kabul is almost overrun. So how exactly? It's not just as simple as sending 5,000 or 6,000 more troops back into Afghanistan because we don't necessarily have a foothold to do it. And, And all of this, every bit of it, is laid right at the feet of, of Joe Biden. We had... We killed bin Laden. Uh, The the Taliban and al-Qaeda were absolutely decimated. We had almost a decade to plan an effective withdrawal, and it was completely destroyed in seven months of the Biden administration. It's just shameful. And you know, uh, Sean Parnell, we just threw 20 years away. As a matter of fact, uh, as I pointed out, I'm not the only one. The Taliban now control more of Afghanistan than they did prior to 9-11. Now every, every uh, terrorist group 
uh, conceivable, assuming they get along with the Taliban, now have a massive country from which to operate, uh, in addition to Iran. And uh, they're going to work closely, it appears, with the communist Chinese, and if Russia can, work with the Russians and clearly the Iranians. And Colonel Kemp said, I'm worried about Pakistan, that Pakistan could fall and they have nuclear weapons. What do you think about all this? I totally agree. And, and, and the fact that Joe Biden, in, in his seven months as president, Mark, has not even engaged a single regional ally, for example, hasn't even talked to the prime minister of Pakistan yet. I mean, you'd think that's kind of an important part of an exfiltration strategy of Afghanistan, given that Afghanistan and Pakistan share a border. But it just what completely disgusted me. And I think it just shows and highlights and underscores how disengaged Joe Biden has been, is that he, the, the guy pops his head up after three, four days of silence and essentially blames President Trump. Well, as a former military ground combat leader, one of the things that they train, train you, Mark, is that commanders are responsible for everything that happens or fails to happen under their command. Joe Biden is responsible for this, and he was, he was desperate to be different from Trump in almost every way, from his border policy to his economic policy to his withdrawal from Afghanistan. And, you know, him moving the withdrawal date from May back to September 11th for strictly political reasons. There were no national security reasons as to why he did that. Really just gave the, the Taliban the momentum, the time, the space, the, the energy to consolidate and organize a counteroffensive. And, oh, by the way, they happened to take a trip to China in, in between. And so... It just it, it's when you say that we that we threw 20 years away, it's it's true and it's tragic because tens of thousands of Americans fought and bled in that country to give the Afghans a shot at freedom. And, and that's why I've been going all around market saying, hey, look, this is not on the boots. It's on the suits. It's on the politicians who who. Ironically enough, Mark, we've won almost every military battle on the ground, but, but have essentially lost the war because of our politicians. Tell us briefly, and you have in other forms, your experience in Afghanistan with the Afghan people. Yeah, so I was uh, a young sophomore, uh, elementary education major, trying to figure out how the heck I was going to student teach second grade towers came down. I don't come from a long line of military generals, but I got in the fight, uh, went to Afghanistan, served along the Afghan-Pakistan border for 485 days with a mission to find Osama bin Laden. Unfortunately, we didn't find him, but we found thousands of enemy troops. Um, my platoon took an 85% casualty rate. Some of my men were wounded twice. I think so one of my guys was wounded three, three times, um, and I was wounded as well. And so um, we served we cared a lot about the Afghan people. We did everything that we could to give them a shot at freedom, uh, protect their women and children's, uh, for the women and children, and just really fight for that country. Did you make good and, friends over there? You know, um, the Afghan people, by and large, on the border. Yeah, you know, I feel like the, the Afghan National Army that we served with was courageous. But the problem with Afghanistan is that it's inherently tribal and corrupt. And so mm -hmm. while the soldiers were courageous that we served with, you couldn't get them paid. You couldn't get them food. You couldn't get them water. And so effectively, you just have a bunch of troops out there with rifles who can only last about a day. Mm -hmm. And it was, the, it was the corruption that 
ended up being the downfall of the Afghan National Army in the end. Well, Sean, uh, I understand you're running for the Senate in the Republican Party in Pennsylvania, my home state. Is that correct? Yes, in, in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, the motto of our campaign is win Pennsylvania, save America. I think that the Democrats, Mark, they know that there's no pathway to the majority. Well, around. listen, before I'm cut off by a hard break, I want to make sure I say this loud and clear to my fellow Pennsylvanians. I strongly endorse Sean Parnell, the Republican nomination, and the general election to the United States Senate. We need you very, very badly. And between now and May of next year, Sean, we'll have you on several times, my brother. Thank you for your service. We'll be right Mark Levin Show, the pool feed for the conservative media. Dive in now, 877-381-3811. I'll tell you what is interesting about the conservative media. As you folks know, I try to give, uh, in every instance, credit where credit's due when I read articles or see essays or see something on television. I think the people who have brain power to come up with certain ideas or arguments or viewpoints that I think are very potent ought to be recognized. Um, This program, from a national program perspective, has more authors on it than any other program. It's not possible to put all the authors on here, or I'd wind up being C-SPAN book notes, and nobody would listen. Nobody would listen. And over the course of my career on radio, I've worked hard to have people who sit in for me, the best of the best I can find, but I can't have everybody. But many of them have gone on to fantastic careers. I believe this is very important, very, very important. When I can, often I can't, but when I can, I'll speak to different groups these days, whether it's Zoom or some other way to do it. Again, I can't do it all. But what I find interesting is, you write a book like American Marxism, it has now well over 800,000 sales. The goal of the book is to galvanize and rally patriots from all walks of life, all backgrounds. To galvanize them and rally them now. to put up resistance against what's taking place in so many corners of our culture, in our society. And I would say, of course I'm not talking about Fox, or Blaze, or Daily Wire, or buddies at Breitbart, I'm not talking about any of that. But there are some websites who tout themselves as conservative. And there's some hosts who want nothing to do with this. Nothing. Which is quite odd. There are some so-called conservative scholars who pretend this doesn't exist. You know, we focus on the New York Slimes and the Washington Compost and all the rest. Look, they don't cover them. I say in the opening chapter, let's put everything aside, let's galvanize, let's rally to our own defense. And so this tribalism that we talk about and condemn, let me tell you, it's here too. Different type of tribalism for sure. 
a different mentality, for sure. But it's here. And uh, we don't intend to go down with the ship. We intend to save the ship. But they're prepared to go down with the ship. And there's nothing we can do about it, so we don't. We rally. You rally. Each of you being your own Paul Revere. And I can't thank you enough. And I want to encourage you to keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up. Don't be distracted. No matter what's going on in the world, we have to defend our world. And do not expect the Republican Party to do it. Do not expect certain hosts to do it, including me. I'll do my part. We're not going to have a savior. You're going to save your community, and all of us together will save our society. Mark, what the hell do you mean? Those of you who have the book, over 800,000 of you know exactly what I mean. Those of you who don't, we'd love you to join us and jump in. We really would. I'll give you the air cover. I promise. And I keep my words. American Marxism is not about me. It's about the country. It's about you. And I think this is one of the reasons why it has appealed to so many of you. It is the antidote to what's going on in our colleges and universities, which is why so many of you are giving the book to your children. It is the antidote to what you see on TV and the propaganda you get from the media. Again, which is why I think so many of you are attracted to this. Now, I'm told there's over seven... Can you, I can't, can you check this, Mr. Producer? There's over 7,000 comments now? Is that possible? Are there over 7,000 comments on Amazon? I have not pulled it up, so I don't know. Mr. Producer will check. And those of you who have commented on Amazon, I want to thank you. And what we're doing here also is we're going around Twitter and Facebook. We're going around big tech. Over 7,000. Five stars. That's amazing. Over 7,000 five stars. You should read the comments yourselves. Or put one up if you'd like to. Now that said, I truly go around big tech. I am no longer part of Twitter or Facebook. I resigned there, I guess, January 1st, Mr. Producer reminds me. So you won't see me promoting the book on those sites. You won't see me putting video on those sites. We do promote it on Parler. And soon you will see, when it comes to my site on Parler, it's going to be easier to maneuver. Because it must be easier to maneuver so we can use it more. We have four and a half or five million followers there. should be. And we're going to work on that and get it that way. But most of this is happening from word of mouth. Word of mouth, exactly what we're supposed to do, exactly the way this is supposed to work. Societies do collapse from within, ladies and gentlemen. They do. No country lives in perpetuity. None that I can think of. So the goal is for America to live as long as possible, as free as possible, one generation to the next. There's some people who don't believe in that. There's some people who want chaos. There's some people who promote violence. Their names are in the book. 
you also have complete buffoons. Some write for Huffington Post, some write for Yahoo News, some write for crooks and liars. Oh my goodness! They're irrelevant. Their ideological tyranny is the whole point of the book. Anyway, I hope you'll join us in uh, American Marxism. Mr. Producer, do we have any regular Americans, irregular Americans? Who do we have with us, sir? All right, give us a good one. Who should I speak to? Our friend Moses in New Jersey, the great WABC. Moses, how are you, my friend? Mark, I'm doing outstanding, my friend. It's always a pleasure and an honor to speak with you. Thank you for taking my call. You got it. All right. So, Mark, one thing, you know, I'm pretty sure you remember, but I want to refresh your memory. Uh, I I was a former Marine. I served in Iraq. Oh, that's right. And now, the one thing, you know, and I also have the audio book of American Marxism. I'm going through the first couple chapters. It is truly amazing. I I hope everybody gets it because it's definitely a book that was made for this time. And the one thing, Mark, that I want to say, in the military, we have this one saying that we all understand, right? There's respect for the man and respect for the rank, right? When we're overseas, when you're in theater, when you're overseas in combat, when it comes to the commanders and the commander-in-chief, personality means absolutely nothing. It is all about policy, Mm -hmm. and it is all about what the man does, his actions that he takes and doesn't take. And the one thing that I'm now putting together even more and see clearly, especially because of your book, is the fact that, to, that today's people, like our, our society, we're incapable more and more of having two different thoughts at our, in our minds at the same time. What I mean by that, Mark, is that President Trump, as imperfect as, the, as he's, not, he's not a perfect man, not necessarily the best role model to have, but when it comes to Trump on policy, right, the way that many of my friends that are in the military right now that are working Homeland Security, that work, I used to work in Homeland Security as well, but many of them that work in the federal government, military, they did not care about tweets. They care about what President Trump was doing with his pen. Mm-hmm. And Trump on policy deserves four more years. That is the only thing that matters. No. And now what we're seeing, and now what we're seeing is the inverse. We're getting all this nice rhetoric, this all fantasy world rhetoric of how, how the world looks like the way that they want to see it. But now what happened in Afghanistan is when this woke fantasy meets reality. And the Mm -hmm. people that are suffering are the people in Afghanistan and our military, because this was not a tactical withdrawal. This was a setup for failure. You're 100% right. A setup for failure. And uh, Joe Biden, how he became president is a joke. His selection as vice president was a joke. He muscled his way into the Senate, and then would get reelected for life. There's something wrong with a system that does something like this. Moses, I want to thank you, my friend. And uh, let's make sure he gets a signed copy, Mr. Producer of American Marxism, as will all our great callers, and we'll take some more when I return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. are trying to figure out, ladies and gentlemen, that the country, Western civilization, is falling off the cliff. And what do we do when most people don't realize it? 
Mr. Producer, what is the purpose of my book? It's to get the message out. And to become active. It's to alert as many people as we possibly can. The heavy lifting is purchasing the book. Other than that, it's getting the book and handing it to other people or using what's inside the book. So why is it that so-called opinion makers wring their hands about the problem is most people don't know what's happening? When there's a book that's going to eventually sell a million copies that tells people not only what's happening, but where it comes from, who's behind it, and what to do about it. And yet these same people pretend it doesn't exist. I don't get it. I really don't understand it. And I'm not crying on a shoulder. And I'm just, I don't get it. You see, the, the American Marxist doesn't operate this way. They call it intersectionality. It's not like they're balkanized or anything. They unite behind a common cause, which is hate for us and hate for America. Can't we unite behind a common cause, which is love for us and love for America and preserving it? So... Part of the reason, quote-unquote, most people aren't aware is because certain opinion makers don't tell them. For some bizarre reason. But you are through word of mouth. You're fantastic. Many of you, you've been to airports. A lot of nice little stores at airports, places to grab a bite. Grab a newspaper, maybe, a magazine, or even a book. One of the most ubiquitous stores is called Hudson's, isn't it, Mr. Producer? It's a big one, Hudson. So, as I pointed out early in the show, we flew out to the Reagan Library. We left the Dulles Airport, which is a huge airport. One of the stupidest airports on the face of the earth. They spend billions and billions of dollars, Mr. Producer, so you take a train to nowhere, then you walk half a mile to get to the damn gate. It's nuts, anyway. So there's a Hudson's there, and my wife, Julie, goes in. And American Marxism isn't there anywhere. This is the number one book in America. It's not even close. It's no, nowhere. We always have this problem with this Hudson's and these airports. Then we fly to LAX. All right. Yesterday afternoon, we flew home. Well, as you can imagine, there's several Hudsons at LAX. So sh- she goes into the one that's closest to our gate. And guess what, Mr. Producer? There's no American Marxism book. Not one. Not one. This is why you can't just blow off Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Walmart, And so many of these other places. Yes, Amazon. And it's very bizarre. Now, last time this happened with Unfreedom of the Press, when I raised it, the founders or owners said, oh, you know, we're conservative. It ought to be there. Well, it wasn't. Now, the rep for Hudson says, well, they they bought a, you know, a soft volume or whatever they call it. Because Unfreedom of the Press didn't do so well in Hudson's. That's because they didn't have many of them in Hudson's. I went through that two years ago. Then they have a place called Book Soup at the LAX. It's right across the hall as you walk. They had several copies. Then I'm told, well, Hudson owns Book Soup, so you see they're actually so... No, 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 no. No. 
we don't go to the reptile house. And I want to thank BookSoup. But you retailers, particularly you independents, you don't play fair. Some of you do, most of you don't. You don't play fair. They didn't want my book, Hudson, in those stores because they don't want these leftists coming into the store complaining about it. Now, they still have Michelle Obama's book, which I'm sure is absolutely fantastic. She wrote every word. There's no question about it. It's like two years old. But she's not controversial, you see. Nothing she says is controversial. So I'm not going to these Hudson bookstores anymore in any airport. And I don't think you should either. BDS. Remember what I said about BDS? There's plenty of places to get this book. Plenty of wonderful retailers and Amazon and so forth. I want to encourage you. Tonight, if you haven't jumped in, please join us. We need your help. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. We pray for the people of Afghanistan, including Americans who are still there. God willing, they'll get the hell out. <laughs> 